Welcome to Court Killers Reckoning. The world of entertainment is turned upside down. We're just trying to find out how to watch what we want, where we want, whenever we want. I'm Tom Merritt. Brian, where's the good stuff at? Come on. I know it's on the other side of me getting sick and my whole world flipped upside down. Mm. I'm going to lean more on the Tom side of the engine for today's episode. You know what I, you know what I did? I padded my top and I, and I put a stopper on my bottom (laughs) so that I could be your crutch. Does that metaphor not work? Is that metaphor weird at all? I, I leave it to people who write it at cordkillers at gmail.com to interpret whatever you just heard. But for now, I know we got to find good stuff to talk about. So, indeed. Future events such as these will affect you in the future. Let's take a supply run. Uh, Hulu and Disney Plus subscribers, as of March 14th, won't be able to share passwords outside their household according to an update to the terms of service for both of these services. Now, Brian, this confused me at first because I was fairly certain Hulu, Sulu, Captain Sulu or Hulu, either one, were already cracking down on password sharing. Didn't we cover like people in hotels having problems with Hulu and and stuff uh, years ago? People like, they hadn't checked in with Hulu on their home network and they were on the road and then, then it stopped working and they had to get a, a, a visa <laughs> or at least an email from Hulu. As you and I both know, as a magician, I've talked an awful lot about how mem- memory is malleable. Mm. However, um, the uh, uh, my memory flawed, as though it may be, uh, says that maybe you and I fixated on, like, maybe we talked a lot about how this was coming for Hulu, etc. But we definitely talked about the very real thing when Netflix decided to cross the threshold and say, uh, no, no, no more password sharing. And then we speculated, I assume, about whether or not Disney would do it, whether or not other people would 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 jump on board and also on top of that i am certain that that hulu in test markets did the same thing whether or not this is old news that somehow became new news i will both acknowledge that uh, uh, the number one could be possible and that number two that we both misremember could be possible The other possibility is that it was Hulu Live that did this and not Hulu regular, which is Hulu Live is their cable replacement where you can watch live TV channels. So maybe it was that. Anyway, whatever it was. uh, on, On that kind of environment. Hulu's terms of service now say that after March 14th, you will not be allowed to share your account outside your household unless your service tier allows it. That wiggle room implies that they might uh, be coming up with new ways of detecting whether you're in the household or not and considering adding a way for people outside the household to share the account, something that Netflix did. Uh, so like you said, Brian, it, it it does look like whatever it was in the past, Hulu's getting with the program and going, oh, that seems to have worked out for Netflix quite well. Let's do that too. Counterproposal. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix has only barely uh, gone on dates with 
too many metaphors. <laughs> Netflix has only flirted with the idea of of uh, being established with cable relationships, whereas uh, Hulu slash Disney, etc., is actively trying to extract themselves. And and there are regional agreements. There's international agreements. There's all these things. So knowing that they're trying to go fully independent, that phrase, uh, what was the phrase again? Uh, uh, you will not be allowed to share your account outside your household unless your service tier allows it? No, 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 no. Service tier, right? Uh, that kind of, that that's the perfectly ambiguous phrase that somebody might use when they want to acknowledge that uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's a 12-year-old agreement with Comcast. There's a 70-year-old agreement with Spectrum. There's a blank-year-old agreement with whoever. Um, we have all these rules that we promised that we would stick to. Um, so basically, they're just asserting the territory of uh, we will if we can. We won't if we can't. Hmm. The I, I, I'm not sure I see it that way. Uh, it seems to me pretty clear since, since there is a no relationship between Hulu or Disney plus and Comcast spectrum, et cetera, there's, there's, there's no overlap between those. Uh, yes, Disney does have networks that are on Com Comcast and spectrum, but any legal agreements about shows and where they can show up, uh, is covered. That's, that's already been taken care of and they're either on Hulu or they're not on Hulu. Uh, it's not like the old days when Hulu, uh, was negotiating for like, you know, 28 days later and all that sort of stuff. Stuff is either on Hulu or it's not on Hulu and it has nothing to do with whether it's on cable or not anymore. So when I see serviced here, what my brain jumps to is what Netflix does, which is, Hey, you've got three service tiers. There's one with ads, there's one that gives you two simultaneous streams and 1080p, and there's one that gives you four simultaneous streams and 4K. Also, we let you add up to two people outside of your household for X amount of dollars per month. I feel like that's what Hulu's going after here is uh, we are we're carving out in our terms of service the space to be able to say at some point, uh, yeah, there's Hulu with ads, there's Hulu without ads, and there's Hulu with two extra people outside your household as a service tier. So uh, first and foremost, I would encourage anybody who actually knows the answer to write us at cordkillers at gmail.com. However, um, uh, if, if number two, uh, we of course are both admitting that we cover a lot of stories and it's hard to tell which one goes where. Um, if I were to guess, I don't think this has ever been done. We may have, we may be misremembering times that we've speculated about it, but either way, it doesn't matter. Point is, uh, Netflix definitely tested the waters and figured out, yeah, people don't care. Uh, they don't mind. And if then then uh if that then uh why not hulu disney plus i mean all of it this is all a long way to say yeah go for it uh extract maximum benefit uh cause people to cancel their 
you know, I don't know, whatever the uh, what was the weird horror movie uh, thing or or shutter. Yes. Or, or, or cancel your rooster teeth subscription or whatever. It's like, you could find the money, but, but starting now we're going to demand it. It, it, does that track? Yeah. I feel like people, uh, the, the, the common wisdom when Netflix said they were going to start cracking down on password sharing was this will blow up in their face. Uh, nobody will do it. People will get mad. People will just cancel Netflix. Netflix is going down. And as we talked about last week, uh, it had the opposite effect. <laughs> it seems to have actually boosted their bottom line, given them record numbers of subscribers. And certainly there's a cap on how far that can go, but there's always a cap on how far you can go on getting subscribers when subscribers are based on people. And there's only a certain number of people you can get. So I feel like this has been successful. And what's interesting is when Hulu posted this, when this when this was posted uh, last week, uh, Hulu changed their terms of service. They didn't actually tell anybody. Outlets just started discovering it. There was not that backlash. So, Brian, do you think people are over it? They like got them mad at Netflix, got it out of their system, didn't cancel Netflix, got used to it. And now with Hulu doing it. Hulu's like, whoo, so glad Netflix went first and took the heat because nobody's mad at us because now it's just a normal thing services do. This this is one of those game theory things where it's like, do you want to be the, an innovator? Mm-hmm. The advantage to being the innovator is that you get to be first. You get to be first in the market. You get to be first in the mind. Um, the secondary play is like, just sit back and watch the innovator do things. And maybe it's good. Maybe it's not and then just follow suit. Uh, you save a lot of money that way, but um, it's it's not a forever strategy. And uh, so-, so But would it be a good strategy in the case of password sharing, right? If Hulu's like, we're not gonna sit back and wait for Netflix to do everything. But in this case, the amount of heat they took for it, it was good that we waited and we were second to try it. Right, so, uh, so stated differently, uh, Netflix did a thing. Hulu did a thing. Uh, Netflix was first to actively spend millions of dollars to say, hey, are you guys willing to actually use your passwords and buy the service and so on? And uh, in that case, game theory, uh, Disney Plus would be like, ah, go on, do that. We'll watch. Mm-hmm. And so essentially they did a market research survey for free for for so hulu and disney plus are holding netflix's beer and now netflix has finished and they've given netflix the beer back and said okay now we'll do it too the only thing i don't love about that metaphor is that it implies that they're friendlier than they actually are are. yeah no they are that's that's probably true (laughs) uh, disney plus may have spit in the beer netflix you might you might want to check that (laughs) yeah uh i I want to know from y'all out there, cordkillers at gmail.com, are you mad? Because we heard plenty from people when Netflix proposed this, uh, when it was even hinted that Netflix was going to do this. So I'm curious if you're like, you know what? No, I'm too tired to be mad. This is just the way it is. Or if you're like, no, I'm just as mad about this as I was before. Uh, There is a disconnect. Uh, I was thinking about earlier this week because you, Tom, and me, Brian, like we're in a curious position in that like uh, our game theory incentives are to say yes to everything and try everything because uh, number one, we get to tax deduct all of this. 
But the only reason we get to do the tax deductions is because of the fine bosses that we have that go to patreon.com slash cord killers. You go to patreon.com slash cord killers. You give us $1 an episode. I don't know. Some of you guys are of, as we call it, quote unquote, of means. Mm. I don't know. I double dog dare you to give us $10 an episode, whatever it is. They can't. They can't do that. There's no way. Ah, Tom, don't ever bet against our patrons. That would be like Hulu cracking down on, oh my God. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Look, uh, the more you give us, the more we are able to legally tax deduct every time we go to the movies. Please go to patreon.com slash corn killers. Allow us to sign up for all the services so that we can. So you don't have to. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. You we you save money when you back Patreon. Patreon.com. <laughs> What's funny is like we're both laughing as though we're getting one over on the man, and yet accurately, that's why the tax structures are created. Yeah, that is, is indeed. Uh, also, I want to point out that that segue. You should never point out a segue when it's happening, but I think enough time has passed since your segue into the mentioning the Patreon. So good. You just you didn't know it was happening. All of a sudden, the next thing you're just like, "What?" Brian was just Tom, talking. It's so good. Ten years ago, you stopped a show to admonish me for pointing out the segue. I know, I know. And now you're stopping the show to compliment me. <laughs> and that's why I built in a little segue. little disclaimer of like, but I think enough. I think we've spent enough time okay, now. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> oh wait, wait. Uh, sorry, Brian. It's time for the search party. So last week we talked about the uh, the idea that Netflix is becoming mainstream television, right? I mean, Netflix is television, but becoming like the replacement for the broadcast networks. And among a lot of the thinking about that was the idea that Netflix might stop making movies, you know, that they they, they were moving their their pay away from movie development. High fidelity, excellent entertainment. Yeah. Because Scott Stuber was the head of that effort at Netflix and he was leaving Netflix. Uh, Does not seem like they're leaving the movie making business, but maybe this is just the last gasp after Scott Stuber left. Uh, During the next on Netflix presentation, uh, which was held at the the Netflix headquarters in L.A., uh, they gave a bunch of TV critics a look at forthcoming film and TV projects, including Seinfeld directorial debut unfrosted uh which netflix announced will debut may 3rd uh so so that's about the serial wars it's it's about you know the development of children's serial the union which stars mark Wahlberg and halle berry launching august 16th uh, a first look image can be seen below from the movie, which features Wahlberg construction worker drawn into a dangerous world of espionage by his high school ex-girlfriend. Forget about the image stuff. I'm just reading the the page here, but it's, it's a, it's a, I got drawn into espionage. Oh, my ex-girlfriend is the spy trope. Uh, that announcement follows the, the news last week that Netflix was not going to release a Halle Berry sci-fi movie. So they're still working with Halle Berry, just not on the mothership. Um, and uh, Squid Game season two, we we got a little look at that. Uh, okay, let's let's start with 
Squid Game season two. Gihun says over the phone, I will find you. Gihun is, is our main guy, the guy that uh, you see, you follow throughout season one. Uh, do you think that they do the thing where it's like, despite the fact that you won all the money in the world, hello, it's the bank. There are taxes on the money and you didn't know there's this special clause where now you owe more than ever. No, no, this is Gihun. This is Gihun being like, now that I have all the money, I have the power and I will stop these horrible people who did this to all of us. I saw so many people killed and for what? Uh, hold on, hold on. Okay, okay. So uh, what if what if now that he's wealthy in the currency of money, what if Gihun's uh, whole game is he wants to torture people with a different currency, let's say political clout or power. Or that does a- not seem to be borne out by the by what what they're showing us here. I'm thinking, okay, I, I, uh, what's uh, 1-800-NETFLIX? Let me, give me a moment. Yeah, All sure. Right. No, you, you uh, call call Scott before he clears out his office. He's still there for a few, couple more months. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, we got a Halle Berry movie. We got a Seinfeld uh, directorial debut. We've got Rebel Moon Part Two. Uh, there's a new Beverly Hills Cop coming. I mean, if you just look through this Verge article, it's like four movies a month. Well, eh, two, two to two to four movies a month. Unfrosted, let's, by the way, I said with cereal. It's not. It's the Pop Tart story. That's my mistake. Let's let's talk about the Seinfeld directorial debut because um, there's a temptation as a consumer to believe that a person is good at one thing, probably good at other thing, and many of the times that's exactly what happens. But but and and yes, if you read into the back history of Seinfeld. Part of the reason that Seinfeld was good was because he was kind of like obsessive compulsive about so many things um, and essentially was directing the entire thing. Um, uh, Do we believe Seinfeld is a good director? I don't know. I haven't seen him direct yet. It's the first time he's ever directed. Uh, Real quick, let me press pause right now. On what? The show. No. (laughs) I'm noticing that we don't have an echo and also. Oh, okay. Do you want me to pause my actual recording then? Because that's going to complicate audio. No, no, no. That was my question is, are you recording? Yes. I've been recording this whole time. Of course. Why wouldn't I have been recording? Uh, because because we're learning a new process. Um, <laughs> I just now realized that I think VMix, the video version, is is not recording. So that's fine. Resume Do we need show. to start over again? Is that what you're telling me? No, no, no. That's what I was afraid of. I'm not recording video. I'm only recording audio, as I always do, because I only always fine. record audio. As, as long as audio is recording, we're good. So we won't have a video version? Uh, no. We'll include this awkward moment where we went meta on <laughs> Do, will, will there be a video version or not? Yeah. Yeah. No, I have the video. Uh, uh, what I'm realizing is that I may or may not be recording audio locally. Normally, but the, the video will have audio. Uh, 
normally the big big backup <laughs> is the live stream but we're not live streaming this right okay now, i know for certain that we're recording the video on my side and you know for certain that we're recording the video on your side all right or the audio on your side i don't know um, about seinfeld but i have questions about this <laughs> uh uh, yes. What are they? I don't think Seinfeld could direct Court Killers. I'm just saying. I don't know if Seinfeld can direct End of Sentence. But we do. How would we know? He's never directed before. Uh, he did the comedians in the cars and they were drinking. He didn't direct that. He hosted that. Uh, I, also, I, that's way different than directing a movie, even if he did a little bit of direction. like That was like popping up a webcam in a car okay so uh let's let's play a game where we trade off examples of people who you didn't expect to be directors who are good at it and people who you thought would be good directors and didn't uh my first example is Rhea Seahorn in Better Call Saul uh never would have expected her to be the director directed one of the best episodes of the entire series, Better Call Saul. I don't know why, I don't know what my criteria for not expecting someone to be a good director is other than, oh, they're an actor, right? Like, because I can think of the first time I found out Jonathan Frakes directed, I was surprised. You stole my second one. But, you stole my second But the one. only reason is because I hadn't learned that actors can direct. I was like, but he's an actor and he's directing. Then I found out, oh, that happens all the time. Uh, and so now I'm like, well, anybody could be a good director if they've got the talent and experience and have been instructed in it. Seinfeld could be a good director. I have no idea if he's going to be a good director or not. I don't know anything about him specifically that makes me think he wouldn't have the propensity other than a lack of experience. But that's every director the first time they direct. There's also a little bit of a game of like, how much pressure are they under, right? So it's like, if it's Thursday night NBC, different set of rules than like on YouTube. Like well, this is Netflix, unfrosted the Pop-Tart story, telling the story of the 1960s development of the Pop-Tart with friends. Melissa McCarthy, Jim Gaffigan uh, are, are in this movie. I would take the over on this one. Uh, yeah. I, I would you deliver? Yeah. Uh, anyway, if folks, if you want to check out uh, Beverly Hills cop, Axel F, there's a trailer. Uh, there's the union. That's the, the um, Halle Berry one. There's a trailer for unfrosted Woody Woodpecker goes to camp coming April 12th and rebel moon part two. I haven't heard anyone talk about rebel moon part one. Maybe I'm just looking in the wrong places, but rebel moon part two coming out. Uh, and then a bunch of stuff coming out later this year, too. Uh, Netflix makes movies. That was my point. Rebel Moon, what I have heard, uh, is 100% not what I was hoping to hear. Yeah. Um, how about you? <laughs> All right. Uh, well, what have we been watching, Brian? I know you you got to watch uh, rewatch with your daughter, which is one of your favorite things to do. Uh, one of the old classics. What did you watch? Yeah, that's... Um, I. I got three daughters, which means I get to continue to do laps and wait for the right moment. Like, oh, is it time for them to experience blank or so on? Um, uh, Callie is 11, and we ended up watching the beginning of Back to the Future. And then she was like, 
dad, can we watch the rest of Back to the Future? And we did. And we got to the end. Uh, number one, comments on Back to the Future. Um, boy, Tom, remember when movies got straight to the point when they were like 90 minutes long? And it's like, no, no, no. You just got to make it do this thing. Have the mom kiss the kid. Move on. Uh, so on. Uh, all of that made her very uncomfortable. However, when we got to the end and you get that teaser of uh, Doc Brown coming back from the past and shouting, uh, no, you two are perfectly fine. There's something we got to do something. It's about your kids. Party. Yes. Uh, oh, oh, my heart grew three sizes larger when my daughter said, dad, is there a second back to the future and i was like i was like i did it i kept my mouth shut it was really really great <laughs> not only that there's three honey hang in there <laughs> yeah uh and then we started the second one and she's like yeah this is boring this mm. is all like they're acting like this is amazing technology but this is like 10 years old right because because you you put you pointed out that it takes place in 2015 and she's like but that was a long time ago <laughs> Yeah, 100% fault on me, I guess. Uh, that's funny. Uh, I I watched the Grammys yesterday on CBS through my DirecTV Now subscription. Um, it was very interesting because one of the things I like about the Grammys versus other award shows, and I actually do enjoy award shows more, more than I know a lot of people in our audience and certainly more than Brian. Uh, but one of the things that I think recommends the Grammys to people is that it has generally been more about musical performances than the awards. They give out most of the Grammys before the Grammys event. And at the Grammys event, they give out like six awards. It's probably more than six, but it feels like it's like, we're going to give out album of the year. We're going to give out record of the year. We're going to give out a uh, new artist. Yeah. We're going to give out song of the year, which is the songwriter one. And then a few others, right? This time it was the Latin artists. Uh, and they give out the pops uh, artists and, and a couple of others, but it's mostly watching people perform. The odd thing about it is that most of the people performing were old <laughs> this time. Usually I watch the Grammys and I'm like, oh, I'm getting exposed to people that I may have heard about, but I'm not that familiar with. This time, Annie Lennox, Stevie Wonder, Billy Joel with his new single. <laughs> It, I mean, there was also Dua Lipa and there was also um, uh, Travis Scott, you know, so there, there were some quote unquote younger artists, but then th those aren't even that young. Like they didn't have a lot of new artists. Uh, they did do Burna Boy, who's a, a big Afrobeats uh, star. And so that was good in like going lateral and saying, let's get out of the Hollywood bubble. Uh, but it was it was it was a lot of old people, Brian. What? Um, and and no, I even liked the Billy Joel song. I was like, yeah, this is Billy Joel. If you like Billy Joel, you're going to like this song. But I don't know. What about those children? Your uh, Billie Eilish's, your uh, Miley Cyrus. She wanted an award. She was there, but she didn't perform. And also apologized for winning an award. <laughs> then, then there's also, like, I, I did not watch it live, but uh -huh. I did the articles the following day and it's like um uh there there there's a fascinating um i will not weigh in on this but there's a fascinating like racial dynamic and power dynamic and status dynamic and 
uh, class dynamic. Well, and the, all that the big one I saw was that Celine Dion presented uh, the album of the year. Uh, which is a big deal if people don't know, because Celine Dion uh, is suffering from a disease that makes it difficult for her to move around sometimes. Uh, it's like stiff muscles. I can't remember the exact name of the of the syndrome, but it causes muscles to stiffen up, uh, causes problems with her throat muscles and her singing particularly, which is why she hasn't performed in a long time. She hasn't been anywhere in a long time. So it was a huge deal that she presented the award. She walked out with her son, who was there just in case, but she did fine. Uh, she talked about how great it was to be back. Everybody gave her a standing ovation. Touching moment, right? Like here is this huge star in the world of music, uh, you know, showing up uh, in front of everyone in a way she hasn't in a long time. She presents the award. It's Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift comes up, takes the award from Celine Dion and turns to like look at her co-producers and like cheer the way anyone would anytime they win a Grammy, right? You take the award from the presenter and you're freaking out and you're yelling and screaming and having a good time because you won an award. Totally got criticized like, oh, you snubbed Celine Dion when you took the award well uh, 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 number one how many awards did did she win that night T taylor swift yeah. uh she had received one other award for for a in the pop category but the bigger deal was that this is the fourth time she's won album of the year which puts her in front of frank sinatra paul simon uh and one other uh, in, in who had won three albums of the year. So Taylor Swift is now one album of the year more often than anyone else. Well, and on top of that, she pulled that extremely rare stunt of using, Oh, I don't know the Grammy awards own platform to announce her new album, uh, which as I'm told happens very rarely. Yeah. Nobody ever does that. Gets away with doing that. Uh, however, she also uh, obeys the rules of of like being so good at um, nurturing her fan base where it's like, well, anybody want to mess with Taylor Swift? I didn't think so. The end. Oh, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder, who performed <laughs> that night, is the other person who won the award three times. Won it three times in four years. Uh, so anyway, Taylor Swift has won the award the most times. And um is I can't do anything right. <laughs> Basically, anytime, anytime Taylor Swift does something, both you're right. Uh, she can get away with anything like, like promoting her new album and everybody goes, Oh my God, that's amazing. What a, what a cool thing. And also can't do anything right. Like she's accused of snubbing uh, Celine Dion. Yeah. Was it the first time that she won that she committed the crime of winning and then Kanye grabbed a mic? I'm going to let you finish. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> famous, famous line. Uh, now, uh, having said all that, there's a wonderful, uh, I'll, I'll do a quick recommendation. There's a uh, marketing and branding show called Under the Influence from uh, Terry O'Reilly. And he has a whole episode dedicated to all the things that uh, uh, Taylor Swift does right. And as I'm watching them, he's like, uh, first she did blank and then did it again a second time. You know, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm into all of this. And it's like, you know, she also does crazy things like reading all of the comments, paying attention to who is doing what. And then out of nowhere, she'll 
do something nice and it'll actually be Taylor Swift. I'm like, that sounds like a very human thing to somebody <laughs> to, do to another human. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's, it's a great episode. And, and uh, I think that for eons, people will be studying Taylor Swift's marketing strategy. Yeah. It, it is interesting on the album release because if you're, not a nobody, because not if you're a nobody, you probably don't win a Grammy, right? But if you're somebody who is is coming up in the world, and you plugged your your album, it could be seen as crass. With Taylor Swift, the announcement of a new album from Taylor Swift isn't promotional; it's news. Uh, the The way I think of these things is every single interaction, and I'm giving a little bit of a preview for this book I'm trying to write, but it's like every action you take to the person around you, uh, take a moment and consider, is it a harvest or a gift? In other words, are you asking for mm, something mm -hmm. or are you giving them a gift? And sometimes the exact same thing in two different situations, one would be a harvest, one would be a gift. So like, for example, uh, if, 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 if she was on a street corner announcing her new album, that would be a harvest. She would be asking for something. However, in that case, for the Swifties, for this wonderful audience that she's cultivated, that was 100% a gift. Yeah. She both, both to them and to the Grammys, you know? Mm -hmm. it, yeah, because it, it made news and it made people realize the Grammys were happening, even if maybe they didn't realize it before. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great example of it uh, and a great way to explain it. Like someone promoting on the Grammys could be considered a harvest and therefore crass. But for Taylor Swift, she was giving everyone a gift by announcing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you got something we should be on the lookout for, email us cordkillers at gmail.com. Big thanks to Doghouse Systems for providing the machines we use to do the show. Doghousesystems.com slash rogue. Uh, and Brian, uh, I am serializing novels through my free Tom newsletter, and I just did a vote. So the next novel starts this week if you're a paid subscriber. Free free top newsletter is free for everybody. But if you want to pay a little bit, you get a little extra. And the little extra is the serialized novel, The Hungry Earth, which I have never shown to anyone else ever. Okay, so let's let's talk about this. Everything is a harvest or a gift. Um, which, which do you feel like this is and to which audience? I don't know. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it and I wasn't prepared to think about it. So I don't have a decent answer. That's fine. I, I, I hit you with a lot for everybody listening on, uh, understand that Brian was trying to turn my promotional moment into his promotional moment for his book. The artist lives in a weirdly cloudy moment where they never know, is this good or not good or whatever. And, and it's only years later we figure it out. But, uh, but, but I love the idea because like, it is a gift, right? Like you're, you're giving away a thing early or, uh, I had a schedule. I mean, for the first time, uh, no, no one has seen uh, the the hungry earth. Uh, so if you, I, I mean, it, it's not really a gift because I'm charging people for it. Uh, so it's a harvest. Uh, but I realize that uh, it's also a gift because it's something that I've done uh, that is available uh, for people. So. But uh, where I was going with this is to to tell you about the the book. Uh, it is it is 
now I can't remember what the book is, is about. Uh, uh, that's fine. Take, take, take a moment. I hit you with a lot. I'm sorry. Uh, I perceive it as a gift because there are many currencies. And in this case, you are gifting the currency of jumping the line on time. Uh, we'll talk about this in after talk, but, but there's a technological gizmo that is going to cost the same today as it will a year from now. But I perceived it as a gift when I got permission to jump the line. And so if you want to jump the line and get the gift, you've got to head on over to free, uh, free Tom newsletter and sign up. Uh, if, if it's a billion dollars or no dollars, it doesn't matter. You are getting a gift that only belongs to people on that list, which is the gift of now ahead of the line. Time for scanning the horizon. Wait for it. Oh, see. This morning was going to be developers, developers. developers. <laughs> uh, interesting article from Adrian So at Wired.com called Apple TV Plus is the new HBO. Kind of backing up what we were saying uh, previously on Court Killers, uh, that, that Apple is the prestige television maker. When we were talking about Netflix being mainstream, Apple being prestige. And by the way, Apple announced their spring and summer lineup uh, to the TV Critics Association, none of which I knew, which is such a prestige network thing to do. Of like, no, we we got a bunch of franchises and we'll get back to those. But wouldn't you like to check out Constellation, an eight-part conspiracy-based psychological thriller starring Numi Rapace and Jonathan Banks that starts February 21st? Or Messi's World Cup, a four-part documentary event tracking the eight-time Ballon d'Or winner through his career? Or the completely made-up adventures of Dick Turpin, a six-episode comedy adventure series starring Noel Fielding as the legendary British highwayman that starts March 1st? In fact, they're so HBO, they have Fraggle Rock back to The Rock coming uh, Friday, March 29th. That's season two. In case you missed, there was a that, season one. Uh, that one, it, it, let's ignore the last one. That's two on the nose. But um, uh, would, would you agree, Tom, that when you have established enough reputation, respect, and enough awards, you get to just act different? Yeah. Uh, Remember back to the 1990s uh, when Emmys were not given to cable stations, so they would have to win cable ace awards and uh, HBO would lean into the branding of it's not TV, it's HBO. They had to define their own category. This uh, now, once you establish yourself there, you, you get to lean back and just say things. And I feel like, to be honest, like, Apple Plus has earned this spot. They get to say, I mean, yes, we're not going to rub it in their face that, you know, foundation was weird and uh, we're not going to rub it in their face. The things that didn't work out, however, although foundation's a huge success for them, but, uh, including <laughs> season two. Uh, 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 I'll believe you on that. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but the point is, is you get to lean back and just say, forget about old thing new thing coming that kind of thing yeah for sure uh and, and there's a whole lineup of, of new things uh coming and it has the cachet i think you're right that hbo has which is 
if anyone else was trying to tell me to watch this, I'd be like, why would I spend my time on that? But because it's Apple TV Plus, I'm like, oh, it's probably going to be good. I should probably watch it. Yeah. And, uh, and you may not even mind the bombastic way that they say it. Yeah. Uh, production is underway on Star Trek Section 31. That's Paramount Plus's uh, original movie that was once going to be a series. Now it's going to be a movie uh, starring Oscar winner Michelle Yeoh reprising her role from Star Trek Discovery. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, on its way. Is this, is this the one about like the Black Ops division yeah. of Starfleet? Okay, exactly. Uh, there was a little bit of a hint of it in uh, Lower Decks, uh, but yeah. Section 31, I think, originated in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I could be wrong. It might have been in TNG or something, but uh, I remember they had several plot lines in, in Deep Space Nine about Section 31. And in Star Trek Discovery, you kind of are seeing the origination of Section 31. So I think that's what this movie is going to deal with. Um, and, and and it'll be set in that Discovery timeline. So 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 let's let's pause our show for a second to speculate wildly. What kind of event? Do you actually want me to pause again, or is this just a metaphor this time? Oh yeah, you never needed to pause. Okay, good. Uh, I never I, did. I, so. I, I, I I I was uh, when there was one set of footprints. Now now I've got I, now I I'm I'm traumatized by the word pause. So I, I sorry sorry. Uh, uh, let us take a moment to speculate because you and I love Star Trek very much. Um, what kind of 9-11 style event would cause a thematic and story-based um, diversion from literally everything we knew about the Star Trek universe leading up to that? Uh, like, do they flatly state it or is it just sort of like implied like, hey, man, at some point we needed a SEAL Team 27. Yeah, that's a really good question because it feels like the idea of Section 31 is not very Roddenberry, right? Roddenberry's got, got the very positive view of the future. And Section 31 feels like an admission that any bureaucracy, no matter how well-intended, will have an apparatus that feels it must operate in secret for the sake of security, quote unquote, anything else, right? Um, and that that is what we're dealing with with Section 31. And I'm looking at Memory Alpha, the Star Trek wiki, uh, according to Deep Space Nine and Star Trek Enterprise, uh, Section 31 was sanctioned by the original Starfleet Charter, which allowed for extraordinary measures to be taken in times of extreme threat. So, again, <laughs> there was a Patriot Act before Starfleet was created at uh, at the creation of Starfleet. Um, Section 31 was comparable to the Romulan Tal Shiar. Wow. Uh, yeah. So when did it start? Oh, uh, you know what? I have this statement here from the creators of Star Trek. It says, I'm just a beekeeper. I'm just thankful someone cares for me. Protect the hive. Section 31's name comes from Article 14, Section 31 of the Starfleet Charter that provides for it to be made. Uh, Yeah, it doesn't really get... How how do you feel about that? Because, I mean, it, it is definitely an undercutting of... 
everything I perceive Star Trek is about. And instead, it's a throwback to 20 years ago of basically uh, 24. I think it's an interesting concept to think that even in the best possible organization, there are going to be rogue elements. Because I think... I think it would be unrealistic to say, no, 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 nothing bad could ever happen in Starfleet, right? So let's say that in times of extreme threat, you're going to need extreme measures. And I think that's fair. I think all of us do that. Sometimes we're like, well, I wouldn't normally do this, but I need to, right? That's all we're saying. It's human nature to do that. So Section 31 provides for that. But how does that happen? Who are the people who take advantage of that? And how does Starfleet push oh. back against that becomes a really interesting story. I don't know if that's what we're going to get in the movie, but no, no, that no, would no. be I, interesting. I, I I think you 100% nailed it is, is like this story becomes interesting when you enter it with the exact same question you and I just had. And instead it becomes like an uh, intellectual, emotional, uh, moral argument for the thing that seems like it should not be there. Yeah. Uh, then all of a sudden it's like, okay, all right. No, I see it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. So you've got you've got the group that thinks it needs to happen because it's the right thing to do. And normally we shouldn't do this, but in this case we need to. You've got the group that takes advantage of that for their own interests because they want it to happen. Uh, and then you have uh, the group who doesn't think it should happen and is pushing back against it. And you, then you have a really interesting conversation to have in this movie. And Michelle Yeoh's character, if you don't remember from Star Trek Discovery, was very pragmatic uh, evil, right? Just sort of like do things because they're the right thing to do for you. Uh, you know, that that is how one must rule because she comes from the alternate universe with the goatees. Um, so... She guess, is going to be interesting in, in this D&D too. In terms that that would be lawful evil, right? Is like like yeah, stick within the boundaries, but also get get yours. I think so. She's a bit chaotic though, so I can't decide if I'd put Philip Philippa Giorgio in chaotic evil or <laughs> she might be chaotic evil. Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Let us know what you where are you where would you put her in D and D classes? A couple of interesting quotes caught me in two different articles, and these were not at the same event. Uh, But the fact that they shared a theme I thought was interesting. One is reported by Variety, the other by Deadline. Uh, Ewan McGregor uh, was talking to uh, an event and and doing an interview uh, and and was asked about you know Star Wars and and being in the original Star Wars. Obviously, he was asking, "Will you ever do another Kenobi?" He's like, "Oh, I'd love to, but you know they they have to decide if they're going to do it or not." The standard answer. But one thing that he said was that when he was cast as Kenobi, he didn't think of himself as that kind of actor. He thought of himself as the train spotting actor. He says, I am happy that I am this character for a lot of people. But when these films came out, they were so disliked. That was hard. The first one was panned and we still had to make another two. It was weird to be in a film that was hammered. So that that alone is interesting of Ewan McGregor talking about like, yeah, man, that that wasn't easy to have people coming at you so hard and still know like, oh, usually, you know, if something's panned, you don't make another one. And this one, you're like, oh, we're definitely making two more of these. Then Daisy Ridley was talking on a podcast about people being upset with 
Star Wars uh, and her roles in the, the sequels, she said, it's still upsetting. You don't want people to feel like you've not served the thing they're a fan of, but The Last Jedi was so divisive, it felt like the first one, everyone was responsive in the same way, but the second one was super divisive, and the last one also super divisive. But it didn't change how I felt about it. So uh, let's start with the last one first. The Last Jedi, I that one to me feels very emotionally approachable. It's like I am, uh, a, a number one, for those who don't know, Daisy Ridley's biggest role before Star Wars was being in the last five seconds of the pilot of Toast of London. Uh, like, like, like she went, uh, as a matter of fact, they later make a joke about it saying, you know, somebody's reading a newspaper and they're like, oh, this is weird. The next new lead of Star Wars is somebody who's never been an actor and is, uh, was just starting a modeling career. Uh, and that was a joke on itself. So in that case, Daisy Ridley knew that she was entering a giant chessboard and she knew she was, forgive me, Daisy, if you ever read this, uh, you know, a, a pawn on the chessboard. And it was a bummer, I would assume, to have the whole rules change from one movie to the next where it was a pissing contest between two different directors and then have the rules change again and then whatever. Um, uh, all, all during which she's like, hey, I'm just here to try to be good to this franchise and to make it as an actor or whatever. All of that, I 100% get. Um, Ewan uh, had a respected acting history before he accepted the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. He did not know where things were going to go from there, but he had something and suddenly people who were not him were making decisions about his legacy. And I would imagine that's very difficult. Now in Ewan's case, it is fortunate that while it was unpleasant to go through that, eventually we got to the place where there's a whole generation, anybody 25 and older, uh, much, much like Tom, uh, I've, I've expressed that, uh, look, I know Tron's not a good movie, but I'm going to love it no matter what, you sure. know, he's now experiencing that phase of, of the, of the career. Um, all of which is a long way of saying, yeah, pretty rough when you're not in charge. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's fair. I I think I think there's a little more to it than that too, uh, and 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 it, it's not even that that much more. But uh, I think there's a little bit I get from from reading this that Ewan was like, "Hey, man, I took a big risk in doing a different kind of role, and they talked me into it on the idea of like, hey, man, it's Star Wars. Everybody loves Star Wars." which was true at the point that they recruited him. And then he's like, and then we do the movie and everybody hates star Wars. And all of a sudden I'm like, I signed up for three of these. <laughs> like, yeah, I could totally see that. Well, and, and, and to his credit, he's stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. Yeah. The way through, and now is on the other side where it's like, uh, my goodness. Like, like, like now uh, I, I think when I had COVID five years ago, 
uh, I watched the one where he rode the electric bike all the way up from Argentina to mm -hmm. LA. And, and, and like, people are like, oh, are you the, uh, and he goes, Oh, may the force be with you. <laughs> Pete his pants. I mean, it's like, he's clearly on the other side yeah. of it, whatever it is. And, and even, even at its hardest panning at the Phantom Menace, I think people would, were giving him an out. They were like, well, but at least you and McGregor was fairly decent as Obi-Wan, you know, like the, I remember him not being panned as hard as the rest of the movie. Uh, yes. And then, then we dip a toe into, you know, uh, uh, George Lucas and so on. But yeah. we'll, save, we'll save that for another time. But, 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 uh, uh, my, my take on this, uh, number one, good, good catch on finding this Tom, but, uh, number two, boy, uh, uh if you can be in charge of your own stuff. Well, and the, and the other thing is fandom is hard. Uh, fandom is hard on things, uh, and uh, it, it's it it, it is a, a, a master that can turn back on top of you. Uh, real quickly, uh, Diamond Sports Group. Uh, we've been following this story on Court Killers. The, it's the bankrupt operator of Bally Sports, uh, local sports channels, reached a deal to continue broadcasting three Major League Baseball teams' games: the Cleveland Guardians, the Minnesota Twins, and the Texas Rangers. But the agreements shorten the deals. So these are new deals that allow them to keep broadcasting, but the deals only last uh, through this season. At the end of this season, the deal expires. And if you remember when we talked about Amazon getting in and helping uh, bolster Diamond Sports Group, we suspected that this was a move towards Amazon, maybe someday wanting to just take a lot of these deals that Diamond Sports Group has. Uh, and uh, that kind of would indicate that Amazon had a, like, we'll help you fund this season of doing this, but then we'd like to take those deals for ourselves. You know, the weird part is that we have so many questions, but the only way they'll get solved is when we eventually see the ESPN 40 for 40 <laughs> special called Game of ESPN. What were we thinking? <laughs> All right, let's get into the chatter. John Flowers emailed us, said, Hey, Cord Killers, I feel like you've got your feet under you again during the show, but the opening theme song was only in the left channel, both on the main show and on Spoiler in Time. Keep up the great work, your boss, John. Uh, I put this one in because I wanted to make an announcement. Uh, uh, Amos is here with us. Uh, can you explain Amos's role in DTNS, Tom? Uh, sure. A Amos is somebody who helps out uh, with a lot of things around DTNS, uh, but more recognizable to folks would be his work on Know a Little More and A Word with Tom Merritt. Uh, know a Little More is edited and produced by Amos, uh, as is A Word, which is a an interview podcast that I do. Uh, so he's, he's an excellent producer. He's an excellent editor, uh, good at, at sort of just managing the whole process of production. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this more in the after talk for the patrons, but basically we're getting really, really close to uh, uh, Brent and Tom having a workflow that works for everything that, uh, uh, but, but what we're weak on right now is the part where <laughs> Brian is responsible for remembering to press the button to post and, and Amos is here to fix that. <laughs> Uh, we got an email from Norm as well. Brian and Tom, I've had Hulu with ads and I don't care about commercials. I don't plan on upgrading to commercial free for Amazon and Netflix either. I can afford the extra money. I just don't care enough to do it. What will give me pause is if my kids start seeing ads that I don't think are age appropriate. 
I can't imagine they target kids with ads. That would be too controversial, but I will be vigilant. So I, I thought this was a fascinating question is once, um, yeah, I don't know about you, Tom, but I deeply love acting as curator, uh, kind of a VJ where it's like, oh, have you seen the blank thing? Oh, it sounds like you want the other thing or whatever. Um, I, I, in this vein, really get upset when all of a sudden some other VJ shows up and tells a story incongruent with the story I'm trying to tell uh, mm. through a series of videos. Uh, and, and that I, I would imagine would be doubled down on uh, double down upon if, if you, if the person you're trying to tell the story to is your child. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of parents have that kind of concern about whether the, the ads are going to be appropriate or not, because it's different content, like you say, than the content you signed up for. Uh, real quickly before we get out of here, uh, spoiler in time has sort of, uh, evolved into first best worst last, uh, as a way for us to sample more kinds of shows uh, in in a in a way that gives us the flavor of those shows. So we'll be finishing up with The West Wing on this week's uh, Spoiler in Time, talking about the last episode of The West Wing, and we've already done the first, the, what is rated as the best, what is rated as the worst episodes of those. And we've been asking folks on After Talk uh, for ideas for future Spoiler in Time episodes, like what are seasons that we could go through and do that treatment with. Placebo uh, suggested The X-Files, The Twilight Zone, and Red Dwarf uh, as possibilities. Uh, uh, the X-Files might, would be really interesting. I feel like we would miss almost all of the meta story. Uh, and and we'll, we'll talk about this with the, the West Wing. I could tell that there was a lot of stories I was not privy to that were, they were closing the loops on. Uh, the Twilight Zone is a fascinating one because episode uh, first would be hello, let us explain to you what the Twilight Zone is, and then the best and the worst, and then the last, um, there probably won't be a lot of boo-hoo-y, teary-eyed farewells. Red Dwarf, I don't know what to expect on that one, because I know there's a long-term narrative, and I assume the the last episode will be a so long and thanks for all the fish kind of thing mm. but, but i don't know what to expect but i do know this much tom i love this first best worst last format i think it allows you and i and the listening audience to tap into so many things that other people know about that that we just you know we don't want to go through the whole thing, but we at least want to know yeah, what they're but, talking but, about. But get a decent sample without getting bogged down. Uh, Paul suggested How I Met Your Mother. Terry suggested a ton. Uh, uh, Heroes, Venture Brothers, Rockford Files, Hogan's Heroes, Greatest American Hero, Pushing Daisies, which was a victim of, of another writer's strike, Batman and ER. Uh, so, yes, uh, thank you for all these suggestions. Uh, listen to spoiler in time to find out what we decide to make next week uh, because we, we haven't narrowed it down yet, but we're going to have to by the time we finish spoiler in time, Brian. Courtkillers at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Amos, for joining us and joining the team. We're going to we're gonna, look, uh, we're, we're at the very last chapter of figuring out this tech stuff. We got this. We got this. Our website is cordkillers.com. Our email address is cordkillers at gmail.com. And we are live on twitch.tv slash night attack Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. 
Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I reckon we'll talk to you next time.